This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium. The subject this week spaceward bound or not. And my co-host this week is Chuck Nice. Welcome back. And I also have with me in studio, Mike Massimino. Name like that, you have to have been destined for something great. He's a NASA astronaut, veteran of two space shuttle missions, STS-109. That's how they designate these things. STS. STS. I think that stands for Space Transportation System. Can you get less romantic than that? Yeah, I'm, you're going to frickin' space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you would think you would come up with something better than Space something Transportation System. system. STS-109, that, that was on board Columbia, which we would later lose a couple of years later. That's correct. A couple of years after that, and STS-125 Atlantis in 2009. Both of those, this is one of the many reasons why Mike Massimino is my man. Both of those missions serviced the Hubble Space Telescope. Sweet. Including the final mission repair for the scope. Sweet. That will take it the next five or ten years into the future. Not only that, STS-109 set a record for spacewalk time. In the old days, they were spacewalk just to check it out. Mm-hmm. Now they're spacewalking because they got a mission. They, they're repairing and servicing the Hubble telescope. And he checked in 35 hours and 55 minutes across five spacewalks. Nice. And so this is awesome. And so let me just bring him in to the house. Mike Massimino, welcome to Star Talk Radio. Mike Massimino, astronaut and homeowner, <laughs> which helps when you're trying to fix stuff in space if yeah. you've had to fix stuff at home. Now, how does that work for you with the wife? It's like, so you can fix the Hubble, <laughs> but the faucet is still leaking, I see. I hear it all the time or when someone asks me, oh, you must be good at fixing things at home. I have to turn and see if my wife is there before I answer. <laughs> and I was in Houston a few months ago, and we're like, he's giving me a ride to the bar. And I get in the minivan. I'm thinking, Mike, you fly a space shuttle, and at home you drive a minivan? Yeah, that's 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 what I've uh, been relegated to. Is this what it's become of the astronaut corps? Well, not all. There are a few guys that have held on to Corvettes, but they're not probably as happy as, at home as I am with the minivan. <laughs> Absolutely. So you got to get your priorities straight, you and the minivan is fine. You just keep yourself that, Mike. <laughs> what are you driving, Chuck? What are you driving? I'm, I'm driving a Ford Explorer. So I'm worse off right. than you. Nah, it's nah. Maybe a, little, a little sportier than a minivan. At least it's a think. gas Guzzler. Come yeah, on. you just got that going <laughs> for it. So, Mike, yeah. you, you were astronaut of the future because you became the first tweeting astronaut. I did, yeah. And that was for STS-125. Right. And NASA made a big uh, publicity uh, bit out of that. And you ended up with 1.3 million Twitter followers. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people uh, were interested in what we were doing. The best thing about it, though, 
was that it finally got my kids excited about space. Nice. About what I was doing. Because they were watching, following you on Twitter. Not at all. Because. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't good enough that they launched you into orbit. They made, no, they didn't care about that. You know, <laughs> okay. my, my son, we had to bribe him to come to the launch because it was the eighth grade dance was the same weekend. Oh, wow. Oh. But what happened was with the Twitter is they made fun of it on Saturday Night Live while I was in space. The oh, weekend nice. update, they made fun of what I Twittered. Oh, and, that's great. And they got, but they didn't care they were making fun of me and mispronounced my name. It didn't matter. We got mentioned on the show and it was a big, so they finally got excited about it. So finally, what dad, I was was, dad was cool. For just a, it was only a brief moment. It didn't last very long, but there was a few minutes there where they were excited. I'm fascinated by the fact that you were able to tweet from space. Who is your carrier? <laughs> That's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, we're a government operation. We're not supposed to endorse any carrier. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the commercial that I would give yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say. I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> okay. After, yeah. And then I'll whisper to you after when he yeah. goes. Right. <laughs> so listen, so Mike, you've been at the space shuttle program a while. As we yeah. know, it has ended. The space shuttle program that's has it. ended. But let's, let's reflect on it. The space shuttle was designed to carry cargo, essentially. Isn't that right? Yes, car- cargo and people. You got the but, payload bay. Right. And out of that, out of that came satellites. You'd retrieve right. satellites. You'd fix satellites. Mm-hmm. You became an all-around space doctor for hardware, essentially. That's, that's it. Yeah, that's a good description of it. And so space shuttle dates back to 1981, if right. I remember correctly. Right. 81 was the first flight. We were all quite excited because the, uh, the the craft was reusable, and that was at a time right. when reusability right. was a big thing. And the very first space shuttle was Enterprise. It didn't go into orbit, but it, it you, you gave the aerodynamic test on the landing. That's right. It was the very first one, and it's coming here. It's coming here to New York City. Yeah, right. Now, is the Enterprise the one that they piggybacked on the back of a giant jet? Is that... They put it on the top of a 747, 747 and yeah. released it. And they used that 747. It's called the Shuttle uh, Carrier Aircraft. Okay, just to give you another acronym. To go a shuttle carrier as, aircraft. Yeah, it's a space transportation rolls, system. Rolls off rolls the right tongue. Right, yeah. <laughs> so and they, they use it to transport, like when we had uh, shuttles landing in uh, Edwards Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. It has to get back to Florida for a launch. They oh, put it on top of that same airplane. That's in case it's 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 snowing in Florida. Right, Something bad right, is happening in Florida. Bad, yeah, bad weather or whatever <clears throat> reason, you got to go somewhere. So that's how they transport. Or if when it was getting refurbished, they put it on that, that same aircraft, the 747. And so when they did these drop tests, that's what they did. They put the uh, Enterprise on top of the 747, they released it, and it came down and landed. It'd be fun to just be sitting in the cockpit while you're getting a free ride on the 747, eating a sandwich, just enjoying the view. Yeah, that would be all right. You know, just kind of cool. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I I would think. So, So, Mike, what are some of your most memorable moments? Because obviously... For all of us, there's the Challenger disaster and the Columbia disaster, and yeah. these are tragic moments in the history of our space right. program. But aside from those tragedies, yeah. which we all remember, are there other sort of fun things you can just share with us? Yeah, the uh, for me being in space, mm-hmm. uh, the, the most memorable thing. Well, was, I got to ask, did you yeah, barf? Did you barf first time you went up? Yeah, well, no, no. How many people listen to this show? I, I don't want everyone to know, but yes, I did. <laughs> yes, he did. did he keep did. it quiet. Okay. Did you really? I did on my first on my first trip. I did my second trip. I didn't, but my first trip to space, I did. Now, does that uh, kind of mess up your visor? Yeah, no, you, you never want to. Right. <laughs> There's yeah, a couple happened? rules. You never want to. You never want to throw up into your helmet. Right. Rule one. Yeah, or on your clothes. So uh, what I did is I had an emesis bag, which is a fancy way for saying barf bag. Uh, I had that right handy. Mm-hmm. I had one in my shoulder pocket, and I actually had one right on my kneeboard because I was a lot of this happens to a lot of astronauts. Right, and it didn't happen right away. It happened toward the end of our day, right before uh, going to bed. I was I had stomach awareness the whole time. 
I like that stomach, stomach awareness. awareness. <laughs> and they, I felt right. like barfing the whole time, but I kept, but I didn't have anything to eat. The stomach mm-hmm. reminds you that it's there. It right. reminds you of stomach yeah, awareness. I have stomach awareness I knew it was too, there. but I'm not really? naked in not, front of a mirror. Re, not now, I hope. <laughs> yeah, so we, that's stomach. That's good. Okay, so where were we? So, so you, I knew at the end of the day, I ended up having to, to heave. Okay, but that's what happened to me. So that is not the measure of who's the right stuff, because everybody. Uh, hopefully not. Even, it happens to just just most people. I wouldn't say everybody, but most. I went into a centrifuge and I and I barfed up my lunch. So I knew, I, knew I was. I was just I've never thrown up in a centrifuge. So that's that, pretty sissy. So, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about in a spaceship. Okay, not a, a real thing. Not on a I mean, a centrifuge. You know, okay, okay, Mike. No, I, I, you understand? It's very similar. I was just the adequate stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, you know, I, when the <laughs> the space shuttle 135, SCS 135, the last mission, yeah. they came through. New York, and I nabbed right. them when they visited the American Museum of Natural History for on their tour. Yeah. And I nabbed them is, into my office, and is, I got. Is anything missing? No. Oh. You're finding it. Ooh, I'm gonna tell. But I, I, I got some some time with them for yeah. Star Talk Radio. Let's join my interview. Okay. Well, I just got them to introduce themselves, and we learned about the very last astronauts in the space shuttle program. Sandra Magnus, Mission Specialist One. Uh, Chris Ferguson, Commander. Rex Walheim, Mission Specialist Two. Doug Hurley, Pilot. Mission Specialist. That sounds like a euphemism for something. What is mission specialist? Jack of all trades is what mission specialist means. We do pretty much everything but the flying. The commander and the pilot focus on the dynamic parts of flight, and we are the ones that do a lot of the robotics and spacewalks and science and things like that. So you guys do the cool stuff, as far as I'm concerned, as an academic. Well, we think we do the cool stuff, but of course the pilots think they do the cool stuff, so it's a win-win situation. (laughs) (laughs) So you were pilot, right? Uh, That's correct. Okay, what does a pilot do? In the case of a space shuttle mission, you usually are the person backing up the commander, keeping him out of trouble, ideally. The pilot also gets to fly the undock and fly around from space station after we've completed the dock mission. So there's a lot to do. There's only four of you on this mission. Usually there's seven, six or seven. Yeah, so I was relegated to the same level of grunt work as everybody else, which was fine. I mean, it was it was good. Okay, who has to scrub the toilets? <laughs> oh, oh, so I said that jokingly, actually. In the <laughs> no, that apparently has been a tradition since the early days of the space shuttle. Where the pilot scrubs the toilets. The pilot is responsible for the space toilet, yes. And it's... Successful operation. Luckily, we had no issues, so I was happy about that. And I I also give feedback on people's cleanliness habits and if there's any ways that they can improve their performance. Because that could be embarrassing if you go public with that. You know, yeah. You know, people their time in the bathroom is very private, but here it's not apparently. It's not quite as private as you'd like it to be. There they go. STS-135. Did you know these guys? Oh, yeah. know them all very well. Yeah, yeah. it's the astronaut corps. You guys are a club. Yeah, and the Sandy and Rex and I were all in the same astronaut class. Oh, my gosh. Same, you know, we started uh, our oh. astronaut studies okay. together. Okay, Wh- who was the class clown? Because I know Chuck must have been the class clown in his in his schooling. How about well, you? Oh, definitely. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I got to say, that's true. Well, a- astronauts, you know, it's it, probably pretty easy for you to be the class clown amongst a group of astronauts. You know, we tend to be a little dry, you know. So, Mike, what but, jobs? What jobs did you have in space? Um, I was cla- I was the clown of the uh, of the mission. You actually oh, were. Mm-hmm. I was. We had some funny guys, but uh, I uh, my my major job on both of my flights was to spacewalk. So I was a spacewalker on both STS-109 and... Is that hard to do, That's or you trained and you're, and you're good at it? No, it really is an acquired skill. You really have to learn how to work in the suit, because uh, the suit's kind of big and bulky, and right. you got to learn how to get around in that suit and work with the tools and learn your uh, learn how to work with your teammate and the whole crew 
and all the folks on the ground. So it takes a lot of practice. All right, let's get emotional here. It's one thing to have to have a hammer in your hand and yeah. a screwdriver, but you're floating over yeah. Earth, man. It's it's Earth. It's amazing. Earth. How do, what did that feel like? Well, uh, you know, the 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 best way to describe it, as far as uh, what you what you see, is what gets you. You know, and uh-huh. and uh, there's no words to describe how beautiful it is. So I can just tell you what I was thinking. And it was on my second spacewalk when I really got a chance. The first spacewalk, I was worried about screwing up. Okay. And I didn't want to lose anything. Right. And mm-hmm. My second spacewalk, I had a little extra time. And it was this one moment where I knew I was going to have a few minutes to look. And I was in a foot restraint, which means I was stable. It was a day pass. And I really just just tried to enjoy it. And when I looked, the, the first time, I, I turned my head. I couldn't even bear to look at it. That's how beautiful the Earth was to me. And the thought that went through my mind was, God did not intend us to see this. And I'm not even necessarily coming from a religious standpoint. Just just went through my head was, People aren't supposed to see this, and I turn my head. A, a, it's a hu- it's a point of view, a vista that, beyond that of the human mind. That's right, and that's what I felt like. You're not supposed to see this. This is this is not what I'm. I'm a, but I quickly got over that. Mm. Did you get all weepy on me here? I did. did. You? The second time I oh looked, oh my god, I just couldn't believe what I, I really soaked it in, and I started to get a little teary eyed. And Neil, at that time, we were very concerned about liquid getting loose in the suit. We had a, uh, a problem with one of our drink bags, uh-huh. and it could create problems. It could you know, maybe short something out. It could actually was hitting the visor, and we have an anti-fog that I was reacting with and can cause eye irritation. And I was really worried about this when I started to tear up because it says, oh, my goodness. If I get, you know, Chuck, if I get, uh, you if I, yeah, your tears, if will, I get tears in there and then I, oh, they'll the, know it. Well, they're going to have to, I'm going to have, there's going to be an investigation. I'm going to say I was crying during my uh, spacewalk. Right, you, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Can you yeah. imagine, can you imagine all the marine pilots making in front of me with that? I would have told him I peed myself. <laughs> right. That would have been probably better. <laughs> that would have been, uh, hey, but guys, I wasn't that clever to yeah. think that at the time. I should have, I should have used the potty before I did the spacewalk. Sorry. I was worried, but the third time I, oh, sorry. Yeah, well, go on, go on. I was going to say, but the third time I looked, the third time I looked, I, I thought to my the, the thought went through my head was this if must be the, the 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 view from heaven if you were in heaven this is what you would see but it was replaced Neil by a thought right after that which was no no it's more beautiful than that Mike hang on to that thought we've got to take a quick break but we'll be back in a few minutes This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. 
And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Our subject today is the space shuttle, its legacy, its astronauts. Joining me this week, of course, is Chuck Nice. Chuck, hey, always good to have you. Always good to be here. And I've got my friend and colleague Mike Massimino, shuttle astronaut. Mike, welcome to Star Talk Radio. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a great time here. Thanks. Listen, before the break, you were talking. You were getting all all misty eyed on us about what Earth looked like yeah. from above. First, you said. This must be the view from heaven. And then you changed your thought on a next spacewalk and said, no, what I'm looking at must be heaven. Yeah, I feel like uh, this is what heaven must look like. This is, this is, yeah. this is deep. And you got all misty-eyed and everything. I did. I almost cried in here. Well, listen, does, let me ask you, does, should everyone have that view? I, that's, that's another thing that goes through your mind is you mm. wish, Neil, I wish you could have been there with me. Chuck, I wish you could have been there. I wish my family could have been there. Are we sending the well. wrong people there? Should we be sending poets? Should we be sending... Well, since they sent me, they can send to whoever they want, as far as I'm concerned now. <laughs> yeah, like, now I've, I, I, I got I my think, view. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, fill them up whatever you want to send up there. I think uh, at some point, uh, it would, I, I think we're going to get there. You know, I think, okay. but at first, I, we may still be in the stage where we're sending uh, scientists, engineers, pilots, people that have... Uh, you know, more of a scientific purpose, or but utilitarian I think you're right. purpose. And actually, you know, let's let's think about that again. What I just said, because it didn't feel right coming out of my mouth. Yeah, I think we should be sending poets. I think you should send people that can describe it, because we're like the representatives of uh, of the planet to go up there, and you know, we're not necessarily the most. Uh, Poetic so, people. So people in touch with the expression of emotion. I think that that would be good people to send Something up Something astronauts bring it back. do not have a tradition of being. Not, right. We can take pictures and, uh, and movies of it, but, yeah. you know, explaining what it's like, you know, we can do the best we can. But, yeah. But, I think uh, we should send Kim Kardashian. You think so? <laughs> and leave her. Right. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> so, so, Mike, in space, you've been, you've been up twice, and you're up there a long time. And you're, you're in orbit, moving fast, 17,000. Oh, yeah. 17, it's quick, man. Coast to coast in 11 minutes. In 11 minutes. I timed it with this watch right here. You timed it. Yeah. Okay, so space is, is can't be always comfortable. It's certainly hazardous. 
not only the launch and not only the landing, but y- your body is facing risks of death from suffocation, from lost pressure, from radiation, too hot, too cold. And so, are you afraid of all this? Are you? Well, now I am. I'm glad I was speaking <laughs> yeah. before my flight. I was about to say, Jeez. I just, I just, my I, goodness, you just, you just sealed it for me. Yeah, we can send poets. Don't send comics. Who <laughs> <Yeah>. knew <laughs> oh, it was like that? So, when the last shuttle yeah. crew came through yeah. the Hayden Planetarium, I asked them about the health consequences right. of being in space. Let's check out what they said. Don't you get taller when you're in space? Yeah, you do. You get about an inch or inch and a half taller. And, Did uh, you guys actually? An inch? Yeah, yeah, you sure do. You don't so mean, now you can go on the rides in Disney World. Right. Exactly. I can play NBA basketball. That was always my dream, you know. <laughs> so how quickly does it take to lose your height? It's very fast. You squish down pretty quickly. As soon as gravity hits you, you stand up. Psh, gravity's pretty a pervasive force. Yeah, I mean... Uh, during entry, I mean, you can watch the G-meter as we get 0.1, 0.2 Gs. And it's, at least on both of my flights, it seemed like the commander and the pilot were always adjusting our seat, you know, bringing it up higher because you were getting compressed. <laughs> so you had to kind of always raise your seat the whole way in. And uh, and then I think by the time you get 1.5, 1.6 Gs is usually what you experience with a shuttle entry. Uh, you're kind of back to your normal height again. So <laughs> it lasted 12 days. That's funny. I'm imagining... You know, while you guys are just coming out of orbit, I see all of your heads through the front window. And as you get lower and lower, like... Yeah, yeah. so you end up raising... <laughs> yeah, now you just see, like, your eyebrows <laughs> at the top. Yeah. <laughs> but we actually have to size our spacesuits for doing spacewalks to make it about an inch of spinal growth. So they actually are taller than uh, when you use them on Earth here. So are they different spacesuits for your spacewalk than whatever else you'd have a spacesuit for? Yes. We wear our launch and entry suits, the orange suit you see us on. That's what we, uh, we launch, and when we go out and do a spacewalk, we wear a complete pressure suit that can handle going outside for six or seven hours. So that's weird to grow in space while your bone mass is dropping. Um, yeah, and I'll tell you, the growing and the shrinking doesn't come without a price for some of us. It's kind of a painful process, you know, trying to get to sleep at night when you come back. Some folks' backs will hurt for a little while. So, Mike, you're a big guy. Did you? How much did you shrink when you were in space? No, um, you're like six I'm, two, six three. What are you? I'm about six three. Uh-huh. But as I'm getting older, I think I'm you know I'm starting to shrink. Yeah, but, you're feeling it. Uh, uh, you did. I grew just like uh, everybody just else. Just like does. everybody it's, else. It, did. You get an inch in the spine, more or less. So I guess wow. that's not a hazard. That's just a, a reality. That's just what happens because gravity is keeping everything it's nice and compressed. compressed. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And that and then that's not there, and it and it grows. So space bit. is like being on a rack. <laughs> just like stretches you out. That's one way to look at it. Doesn't feel good is the question. It feels though. it feels a little bit funny at first, like that first night, as uh, as Fergie was describing. You kind of feel like a little discomfort in the back, mm-hmm. but nothing that bad. And uh, okay, so are there any- by the next day you're feeling fine. Your body adapts all that stuff within uh, a day, more or less. Are there yeah. any positive health effects? That you have any memory of? Joy, joy, <laughs> happiness. You're a happy guy. Yeah. Well, not all astronauts have been happy, and and yes, that's true. Really? Oh, uh, yeah, like Lisa Nowak. Oh, oh I, I remember that. She got st- back. Oh my gosh, that didn't happen in space, though. Whoa, Bro, really? she, yeah, she was on Earth when that happened. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. blame Earth. Oh, sure, Maybe blame that's gravity. what it is. It's gravity's fault. That's what it is. <laughs> she couldn't float around. She missed that extra height, and next thing you know. Well, let me get back to these hazards in space. You're going eight, seventeen thousand miles an hour sideways, right. and there's got to be stuff in there that you might hit. That is that it, is true. There is so the, the craft could get damaged. The the yep. spaceship can get damaged, and so I, I was I chatted with your 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 brethren mm-hmm. on that very last shuttle mm-hmm. mission. If they could reflect on the the dangers posed by these micro meteorites, let's see what they had to say. 
what we try to do is photo document the exterior of the space station for micrometeorite debris hits and then other just wellness of the station. So because if it's an actual full-up meteorite, you wouldn't have to look hard. No, <laughs> that would probably leave a dent or two, a couple scratches on so, the outside. So how big is a micrometeorite? Very small. Sandy, in fact, took a lot of the pictures. Uh, I don't know whether we've seen any results. Let me find out from Sandy. So you were running the camera while you were observing damage to the space station. Yeah, we had like a 400-millimeter lens and then an 80 to 200-millimeter lens and just trying to map the station out as much as we want. But, you know, something as small as a dust particle can do some damage at 17,500 miles per hour. And so that's typically what we see are those kind of small little hits. If you get something the size of a dime or a quarter, you're in bigger trouble. And is there any repair mechanism that you guys have available up there if the body of the, the craft is punctured? Yeah, we have on the inside some stuff called duck seal that's sort of like modeling clay that you can put over, and there's a couple of... That, all I can think of is the guy at the dike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not far off, actually. And there's a couple of you know, like small metallic seals, depending upon the geometry, you know, what the curvature is that we may be able to affix it to. Now, I saw a mission to Mars. They ran into a meteor stream, and the craft got punctured, and they had some kind of epoxy-looking goopy stuff that they put into the hole, and you're describing something that's also kind of hole-filling, but it's the same idea, I yeah. guess. Yeah, you really just want to block the hole so that the air stays in where you need it. <laughs> so you guys more susceptible during a meteor shower? Yeah, there can be. There's times where they look at the possibilities of, especially when we do spacewalks. If we do spacewalks and there's a large chance of more damage, obviously you're more at risk when you're out in spacewalks. So you want to stay indoors when that happens? Try to stay indoors before it starts, go out after it's over, you know. Watch the show from the inside. That's got to be fun, watching meteors yeah, below you. I mean, that's got to be a little... You can see them once in a while. They're going, it is a really strange sight seeing them underneath you going into the Earth. You're on top of the shooting stars, basically. Right. And they're going by us. We just can't see them, fortunately. Well, at the point they're going by you, yes. you can't see them. Right. But then they enter them. the atmosphere. They render to glow. You say, Woo, that's Didn't a close Ron one. get a picture of one just recently? Yeah. 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 Current station crew member who we got to spend some time with when we were there got a great picture of one, although I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's awesome. So, in fact, since they're not self-luminous, you can't see these as they go by you. No, they're traveling very fast, too, so you're probably lucky you can't see them. You can see what the damage they do. When you're lucky you can't see them? My ostrich here, okay? Well, hey. Where's he sticking his head when danger comes? When you're, out there, when you're out there doing a spacewalk, you can see evidence of them because the space station's got probably dozens or more of micrometeorite hits. You can see them on the handrails, and you can see them in certain areas of the space station. Before you do a spacewalk, they say, okay, watch out for here, 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 and here. And you're like, now how am I going to remember all that? But it is very dangerous when you've got gloves on. If you come across one of these micrometeorite hits on the outside of the station, uh, you can cut your gloves. Because it's no longer smooth at that point. Yep. Right. I have a real-world example. My first flight, we... Which was? Uh, STS-115. And we didn't find this out, of course, until after we landed. But we had a 10th-inch uh, diameter hole the inside of the payload bay door. And uh, you would think that all these micrometeoroids are truly galactic in nature. And this, when they did a, a mass spectrometer analysis of the residue that was left, it was a part of a printed circuit board. Whoa. Whose circuit board was that? I would bet it had a Chinese signature on it. But that <laughs> okay. From the satellite that they took out a few there's, years ago? There's a lot of man-made generated orbital debris out there, and it's a real hazard, and it's something we really are going to have to keep a close eye on in the future. I thought that satellite was several hundred miles higher than you guys, or is it just if you blow it apart, pieces go they're everywhere? All, they're all in different orbits, and those orbits will generally cross a shuttle or space station orbit at one time. That's okay, so you're an unwitting vacuum cleaner of space debris, given the cross-section that the space station has to all of this. That's one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> you just hope that the piece is too small. You know, we can detect large pieces, usually about 10 square centimeters in radar cross-section. We'll track from the ground, 
and the space station is protected for anything that's less than about a centimeter. The space shuttle is a little more vulnerable, but that one to ten centimeters out there, that range is a little tough. Those are the station killers that are flying around out there. Can the space station maneuver in ways that, like, fighter jets do to avoid... They have an imaginary box of several hundred miles. Wait, don't say that NASA has anything imaginary, okay? <laughs> Give me a different word than so there's, that. There's a box they draw around to protect the space station. Which so a volume. A volume. Mm-hmm. So if it looks like something's coming into that volume, they can boost the station out of the way of the potential trajectory. So there's a whole group that keeps track of those kind of things. So, Mike, you've got some kind of spacewalk record. Were you ever hit by a micrometeoroid? No. Did you dodge them as they came by? Well, you, you, you try to avoid them, put the shuttle in, a, in an orientation that you hope uh, that it'll get hit before you do and keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great for your friends, right? Yeah, you guys take, take it before I do. When we come back, more with Mike Massimino and Chuck Nice here on Star Talk Radio. You're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. With me, astronaut extraordinaire Mike Massimino. Two space shuttle missions, each of which in the service of the Hubble Space Telescope. The second of which was the last servicing mission. Star Talk Radio, you can find us on the web, startalkradio.net. On Facebook, just like us. Easy to find us, Star Talk Radio. Not only that, Star Talk Radio tweets. Did you know that? I did know that. Guess what its Twitter handle is? Uh, Star Talk Radio. (laughs) And Mike, you tweet as well. You're uh, Master Mike or something? Astro Mike. Astro Mike. Astro Mike. Master Mike. I want to get away with that one. (laughs) (laughs) My family would squash that immediately. It's Astro Mike. I tweet at Neil Tyson, and and Chuck, you're tweeting at... At Chuck Nice Comic. Chuck Chuck Nice Comic. We got you. Well, just before the break, we were talking about hazards in orbit, things like micrometeoroids that are going thousands of miles an hour and it can be very thanks for the sound effect yeah i'm Chuck. sure that, i'm sure it's space and they don't make any sound they don't make any sound I'm sure Chuck. they don't but that's what i imagine if need. they did that's make the sound you to make the sound <laughs> <laughs> so chuck i'm trying to do a show here i'm sorry go ahead so 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 now we're, see i'm all distracted by <laughs> meteor, meteoroids making sound in the vacuum of space, space. do it did, again chuck yes i'm totally <laughs> okay, so sorry go ahead all right so uh, in the news recently was this satellite that the, yeah. the, the upper atmospheric research satellite, NASA didn't, couldn't control it. It was going to fall out of the sky yeah. on its own. Usually there's a little bit of extra fuel left in a satellite so they can deorbit it yeah. and drop it in the great satellite toilet bowl of Earth called <laughs> the, the, the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Everybody landed there. You know, Hubble's going to land there. Right. The space station, the day that comes out, is landing in the toilet bowl. But this one we couldn't control, so it could have landed anywhere. It turns out most of the Earth is water. Most of that which is water is the Pacific. It, in fact, my understood from the news reports, did land in the Pacific Ocean. But rather than explode it out of space, the whole thing came down whole. So, yeah. And it breaks up on reentering, but then most, most, of it, most of it burns up and some pieces survive. You can do like a scavenging mission at the bottom of the Pacific if you're interested, I suppose. But let me ask you, what's the what's the future of astronauts in space? How, how big is the astronaut corps now? 
We're down uh, to about uh, oh, about sixty or so. Uh, down from what? At, what was it at its peak? I, you know, I think at the peak was a few years ago. Was uh, was about one hundred and forty so, U.S. U.S. astronauts, of course. Yes. And we have astronauts from around the world now, but that's the U.S. number. Oh, you mean others who are in the NASA program who represent right, so, other countries? Right. You know, those from uh, Japan, uh, Europe, because they don't have their own manned programs. But well, we they, do. they do. But they, some it depends. Uh, the Japanese have been training with us as uh, in our astronaut classes. The Europeans have done that from time to time. They also have their own training center in Europe, but we all kind of participate together. All right, I just learned that NASA put out a new call for astronauts. What, what, are, yeah. they, what are they, what, what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Help we, me with this question We need someone here. to get our space coffee made. No, what, what's uh, going on there? Well, we, we still are sending people to space. You know, Dan Burbank is uh, going to be uh, launching into space in early November, hopefully. Oh, they're, they're going on the, on the, the Soyuz. The, the, the only yeah. game in town right now for the next few years, the no more shuttle. Is you fly as a as a crew member on the Soyuz to the space station for a six month stay, and that's what we're going to be doing for the next few years until we get another vehicle, another spaceship that we can fly on. Now I've sat in the Soyuz in a mock up in Star City in Russia, uh-huh. and it's not for big people. No, it's your yeah. your knees are in your chest. Yeah, yeah. So you are you slated for this? Uh, I am eligible. I supposedly fit, although I think they turned their back when they took out the tape measure. Yeah, they're lying. They're but, lying. But uh, yeah, it would be a really snug fit. Uh, you got to remember, it's primarily just to get you there and get you back, so you're not stuck in there for a very long time. Plus, in America, we prefer our comforts. We yeah. prefer <laughs> our comforts. I like a big, right? I like a you know a, a bigger seat with extra legroom, but they don't have it over there. So these this new crop of astronauts are they going to be the right stuff, like the original ones in the '60s that we saw in the movie, or is it or is it like a, uh, a is, is it a resort where you just say, oh, here here's a book, learn how learn what button to push, and that's it. Astronauts uh, for dummies. <laughs> You mean like me? Are they going to be like those cool guys or like me with the minivan? Yeah. No, I, I think you'll probably have a mix of test pilots. You'll have a mix of uh, scientists, engineers, medical doctors. You know, the, the, general, the general mix of people is what they'll get. And uh, it's more important of, you know, how they're going to fit in, how they, can, how they act as a crew member and so on. Okay, so these astronauts are not for some next stage of the American program. Well, they're- hopefully they will be, too. I mean, for the short term, it's going to be Soyuz going to space, but hopefully they will be for the next. So the long term well. is because Obama announced that there is this mission to Mars, which will, of course will happen well outside of his watch, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's That's for what a pres- happens under a president to be named later. <laughs> right, we're going to go get to his Mars. name on the plaque. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I asked space shuttle crew uh, STS one thirty five what they're going to do next because mm-hmm. what's your encore after you fly the very last space shuttle mission? All right, let's find out what they told us. How many of you will be staying with the astronaut program going forward? So far, all of us. Uh, we don't have any plans to go anywhere. And how many astronauts were there versus how many will there be going forward? I think about six years ago, we peaked at about 139, 140, right around there. I think right now we sit at about 60. You know, of course, when the space shuttle flew, you had six flights a year times six or seven people. You know, you had 40, 50 people a year going. Now, with the space station, we're down to really four years, so the, the size of the office will drop off. I think we're about 60 right now, probably headed down, maybe ultimately about 45. I like that. Was it Obama in one of his speeches who said, we left the flag on station for the first commercial crew to take it off? Well, yeah, it, this came kind of close to... Our launch date, where they came to us and said, hey, this is a flag that flew on STS-1. Which, of course, STS-1 doesn't exist. That was Columbia, and Columbia broke up on entry. So this has special meaning, right? Oh, you bet. I mean, tremendous meaning. So we took it with us, and the idea was is to leave it there, and then the next crew from a rocket launched from U.S. soil would bring it back. 
and I think the president took it and ran with it at that point. But and we hope that's obviously sooner rather than later, because it's obviously very important for us to continue launching rockets from U.S. soil. All right, that's what STS-135 crew is going to be up to now mm-hmm. that uh, we're not flying the shuttle. Uh, it's curious. Many people were upset that we're not flying our own. We don't have our own access to space anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're rel- yeah. Uh, I'm one of them. You're one of them. So oh. we got the Soyuz, which is a really reliable vehicle, isn't it? Yeah. Mike? It is pretty, pretty reliable. It's been around for a long time. Is, is it, is it reliable because it's a blunt instrument? It doesn't have very many moving parts and yeah. it's, it's, it's like very practically designed like many Russian hardware yes. is. It's, uh, it's robust. You know, it, it's not as complicated. It doesn't have to land on a runway. It doesn't need good weather to land like the shuttle did. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, specialized to get you to low Earth orbit and come home. And the Soyuz has been around since like the '60s. Yeah, it's they've improved it. They've had a couple of different versions of it, but it's basically the same idea that they had back then. Well, and- why don't we just build a Soyuz? This man's a genius. You need, <laughs> we need you at the space what is, program. What's the problem? <laughs> I don't see the problem. We, we can't handle the the, Ru- the Russian language displays. <laughs> it's a wacky language. We can't handle it in America. The Cyrillic alphabet metric challenges. Yeah, us. we can't. We can't do it. Now we, we are going to be hopefully building. Uh, there's some commercial companies, and, and NASA itself is uh, looking at building something. We'll get back to that in, so, in, in the next segment. But, right. but but with the Soyuz space with the Soyuz spacecraft, mm-hmm. it docks with the International Space Station like the show. Would, right? Right. The difference is you're not hauling anything. That is a very good you're point. You're taking only people. Only people. So well, a little bit of gear, but not very much. So in the long term, it's these astronauts will, are destined for Mars, I guess. That is that is the hope. Yeah, but yeah. so are they recruiting then middle schoolers for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but, we, give, we give them a little test when they're in, L, uh, when they're in preschool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How about your kids, Chuck? Maybe... <laughs> yeah. Hey, let, the right age. Let's throw them on a merry-go-round, speed it up, and see yeah. if they barf. If they don't barf, if they they're, don't, in. they're in. They're in. Yeah, we're looking for kids that don't puke. Well, yeah. it's, it's not only NASA in this game now. We've got commercial space coming up. Commercial, yeah. commercial space development. We've got Spaceship One. That space. Who, what's the guy who does that? Is that Richard Branson? Uh, no, Rutan. no. Um, Bert uh, Rutan. Bert Rutan. Yeah. Bert Rutan. And Richard Branson is with Virgin, Virgin Galactic. Galactic. Where mm. and he's selling seats too. Yes, he is. Two hundred grand. You got your seat? <laughs> no way, man. Make sure that thing flies before I'm buying. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a little skeptical because so much of what they're selling are just these trips to, you know, sixty miles up where the atmosphere is thin enough so you can see the stars at night. So that's fun. so they call that space, but yes. then they just fall right back down. They're not in orbit, and they, they want you to think that first we just go up and down. Next we go into orbit. That's a completely that's different. A big, that's a big yeah. difference. That's You're a right. really big difference. Yeah. One of them, you need heat shields on re-entering. Yeah. The other one, you just fall back yeah. with some wings and a parachute. Ah, oh, <laughs> sounds like a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it does. <laughs> you know, I, so I mean, I, I applaud the effort because it reminds yeah. me of the old days right. when there were awards for uh, uh, for advances in aviation. You know, Lindbergh didn't just fly to be the first across the ocean. The man picked up some money yeah. for, for having done that. And the Ansari X Prize right. is specifically conceived to stimulate entrepreneurship in your garage. So, Chuck, oh. are you, so Chuck, you, you going to go for one of these? Well, the first thing I have to do is get a garage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these garage stories, I, I always grew up in a city. It's like I could never be the garage guy. Exactly. I'm here in New York. <laughs> that would kick me out. <laughs> no, Mike, you grew up. Yeah. Where'd you grow up, Mike? Long Island. Did you have Michael a garage? Square. Yes, we had a garage. He had a garage, yeah, ladies and did. gentlemen. Eligible for the Ansari. There you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so this is Star Talk Radio, and I've got Chuck Nice and Mike Massimino here, my favorite of all the astronauts <laughs> ever. We've got to take a quick break, but more Star Talk when we return. Talk Radio. Welcome back. So, one of my big issues with NASA, an issue is euphemism, Chuck, for what? Problem. Real problem with mm-hmm. NASA is they're telling you you're going into space, yet you're no farther above Earth's surface than the distance from New York to Boston. Yeah. A couple of hundred miles up. It's in a tough direction to get to. It, it's a tough direction, yeah. but that for me, that's not going places. Right. That's boldly going where hundreds have gone before. <laughs> yeah. So, what I really want to know yeah. is... The energy that, or the urge that any of us have to leave low Earth orbit and go to Mars. Let me get to my last clip with STS-135, the crew, the last ones to fly the shuttle. And I just want to get a sense of them, of, of their, their, their feelings for being in low Earth orbit mm-hmm. and how soon they want to get out. Let's check it out. Well, I watched Neil Armstrong walk on the moon when I was a seven-year-old, and I thought it was the neatest thing in the world. That's how I got involved in all this. You know, at, at an early age, you never admitted it to many people you wanted to be an astronaut because everybody knows what happens when you say you want to be an astronaut. They tease you. But I wanted to do it. But when the space shuttle came along, I was happy to do that. That's worked, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I had dreams of going to Mars when I was younger. I think that would be kind of fun to go step on another planet and be part of that group. But as I entered the Corps, I realized I was probably not yet quite of the right generation that'll be another generation behind that does that everything was written in the 60s oh we're on the moon in 1969 mars by 1985 (laughs) (laughs) yep didn't quite work out that yeah it seems to be a mismatch between dreams politics and money yeah it's a hard thing because the the space program by its nature depends on multi-year funding and multi-year plans and programs and uh, I understand why we went to the shuttle and built the space station. We're getting great results from the space station. And the shuttle's now being retired, but now it's time to take those steps beyond low Earth orbit. We'll continue operating the space station for another 10 years, get some great science done there. But let's keep exploring, and it's time to go. So when, if ever, do you think humans will walk on Mars? Like 2035, 2036. Okay. Always 25 years from whatever the current day is. So that's never. <laughs> that's a sneaky way to say never, okay? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, uh, Sandy's right. 25, 30 years. If we committed. In 2035. Yeah. Okay. How about you? 2037. Is this the price is right? <laughs> <laughs> you can come in under and you're still... <laughs> 2038 on me now. I'll do it. No, I, I tend to agree with that. You know, it's a long process. The good thing about it is we're learning so much on Space Station about how to survive for two and a half years, which is a typical mission template. And that's an awful long time to be gone from home, and it's an awful long time for your body to be subjected to all those different things, radiation, microgravity, all those different things. What we're learning today on Space Station is going to make those missions successful. And sooner is better than later, but it's a huge investment. It's a huge commitment. But I'm still waiting for a date. 2038. Oh, <laughs> Box me in. Can I change my answer? <laughs> I'm now 2039, okay? So, Mike, 
You know, I got four astronauts, the last ones on the shuttle, saying we're not going to be in Mars until the middle 2030s. Mm. Mm. Are you you're, you're with that? Do you think that's what's that's, real? That's probably uh, probably realistic, but I, I would hope we get there a little bit sooner. One of my concerns is that in President Obama's speech, where he talked about the next phase of space exploration, mm-hmm. phasing out the shuttle, which was put into play by Bush. Right. But people forget that. But yeah, Bush, no, it was Bush said, right. "Let's phase out the shuttle, but right. phase in the next thing." Yeah, and right. the next thing is supposedly going to Mars. It's, but it included under the Bush plan a, a trip to the moon. Yeah. To remind ourselves, among other reasons, that we can still leave low Earth orbit. Right. Obama said, "Hey, we've been to the moon, done that, been there, done that. Let's Old go hat. to let's go to Mars." But I worry if yeah. the next time we leave low Earth orbit, it's a three year mission to yeah. Mars. I'm, I don't trust us that we uh, can figure out how to do that. It's a long way away. It's like you know when you those, when you send your kids out on their bicycle for the first time by themselves, you don't say. Uh, you know, go, see go to week. El Paso. <laughs> right. Right. You know, you, you say, you know, go around the corner to grandma or whatever and, right. or go to the store and come back, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the, the moon, I think actually, in my, I think it's one of the reasons it's there. I know you probably have a scientific reason, but I think one of the reasons it's there, it's, it's, it's supposedly, I think, our playground. No, and I think it'd be nice for us to go there a short little distance. There's a famous quote in the go. space community circles. They say, yeah. if God wanted us to have a space program, he would have given us a moon. Ooh. I don't understand that. At all. <laughs> I didn't know. Either. I just said, "Ooh!" I I was, I, you don't get it either. I have no idea. Yeah, what it's, that it's deep. It's deeper than your, your normal <laughs> thinking. I'm, yeah. You, you got to think that one through. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he did give us a moon. <laughs> Therefore, yeah. that we, is, should we should have a space. There is the. Therein lies the answer. There it is. There it is. So this new vehicle that's supposed to be able to get us out of low Earth orbit with strap-ons mm-hmm. is they were supposed to be testing that in the tw- early 2020s. Right, and so excuse me, uh, as a comedian, when you say strap ons, so, my mind sorry. goes to a whole other place. <laughs> you know, so could you just take a moment and explain to me what the hell strap ons are? Because right now, I can't tell you what is happening in my head. <laughs> strap ons. I want to hear what he has to say. All right, about this. so so what we have here is there's the main space vehicle, right, with its rocket motors. Okay, all right. Typically, that's liquid fuel. Right. All right. It might be hydrogen and oxygen, which was just water when it recombines. Right. But the act of recombining is hugely exothermic. It releases energy like it's nobody's business. Okay. With the, with the exhaust product being simply H2O. So we got a solid fuel rocket. No, no so that's the liquid. That's the liquid fuel. So rocket. that'll get you. So now you want a little extra boost to get off the Earth's surface. So you strap on the requisite number of solid rocket boosters. This is – the okay. space shuttle had two of those. Two, they call SRBs. Oh, now that's a naughty shuttle, isn't it? <laughs> it's two strap-ons. <laughs> and so there's a whole controversy about whether the new ship should have the strap-ons or not. Okay. Congress got in – and I, I'm, I'm agnostic with regard to what's going to get you off Earth's surface. Okay. Just get me the hell Just off. Just get Earth. off the surface, get, and, and then we're good. The good, th- the, the 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 flexibility about the strap-ons is that if you want to go farther, you put on a few more. That's exactly what I heard. <laughs> Chuck, <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> so, so, Mike, how old are you going to be in 2035? You're going to be old. Oh, I didn't know there was going to be any math involved here. <laughs> I will be in thirty in twenty thirty five. I'll be uh, sixty two. I guess sixty two. Yeah. Well, they've gone up older than that. You yeah. Know, John Glenn yeah. went up, and he came back. That that man had the right stuff. Yeah, he you sure know. did. What was he like? Ninety when they one hundred and two when they sent him up. Uh, he, he was he was like eighty, I think. But he was yeah he was he was he was an old seventy eight I think something like that. Yeah yeah. Was, yeah yeah that was good. He was a tough guy though. 
He's a Marine. Nice guy. Oh, yeah, Marine. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're just an engineer. I'm just an engineer, man. I don't know what, how, what I'll be doing at that age. <laughs> what I'd like to also is send astronauts to an asteroid. One of these might have our name on it, uh-huh. and I want to know, characterize them so I can deflect them out of our way. I love that. Yeah. I think I saw that movie. Oh! I love it, though. Calling Bruce Willis. <laughs> We've got to wrap up the show, but of course I want to thank my guests. And as always, I want to bid you to keep looking up. 